I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. getting into some b-roll stuff here and i know we were talking about this before but just talking about this idea of contests are we we recording oh yeah okay Uh, okay continue i'm sorry getting into some some b-roll stuff uh we were talking again about these contests or things that we saw on either a box top or a video game or an ad in like a magazine or a comic book that you never actually saw these things come to fruition Mm mm-hmm and for me, that was these ads. It was like this casting call that I would occasionally see when I bought like an old comic book from the 1980s. And it was about a Captain America musical. Ooh. And it's like, <sighs> if you're a girl between the ages of this and that, you can come sing on, dance on stage with Cap. <laughs> and it's this very specific picture of Captain America <laughs> in a dancing pose with like a top hat and a Hello, cane. Hello, my baby. Oh Hello, my, my darling. Yeah, Hello, he's the, the frog guy. Yeah. yeah. I, did, they have, did they specify like... Like, uh, lack of gag reflex preferred. Uh, <laughs> you, I, I think know. at that point, that's pretty much a standard for anyone in a certain age I, range I trying know. to get into the I'm entertainment sorry. industry. Did it it go? helps if you don't gag. <laughs> Did it go through, like, four Captain Americas because they kept getting injured? Yes. <laughs> I don't know if it was quite the same as the, uh, the Spider-Man Bono musical, which is a real thing. I don't know why. I don't, it ow. fell between the radar. How, how that's can like, you that's fuck like up the that? New York Yankees of musical theater, right there. Just we've got a lot <laughs> except of money. Not successful. Except yes, except not winning any pennants. Uh, no, mine was the uh, in the mid, the early. Like, it had to have been early nineties. There was a contest on. Was it Post or was it Ralston Purina? Who knows? Which I one? think that's the dog General food company. <laughs> yes, d- the dog food company not only made uh, this is the same logo. I think it's Ralston Purina makes dog food and cereal which makes you a little suspect about what you're putting in your body in the mornings. No, they had a contest in the early 90s that you could be a have an extra part on Star Trek TNG and uh the the flashback story of it is that uh, the the person who won uh, was like a lady in her 70s, so she just accepted the cash prize. So, you know, it was, like, it was such a letdown. <laughs> well, that's how I got Ensign Row. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that like, they were been, amazing. That would have been great, because I think we would know it then, but I know we see this stuff all the time. It's like, did this stuff actually ever happen? Wait, wasn't in, in the Harry Potter movies, the uh, I'm not going to remember her name, the, the girl that was in their grade with that was sort of albino, with the kind of the, the shrill little voice... Who is this girl? She's kind of the creepy little girl. I think you were watching The Ring. No, no. Or they were twins and they were smoking a hookah in no. the second Matrix movie. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. The, the, she's, the, she's like, she's kind of a maudlin little girl and she has white hair. She's she's a fan or someone who won a contest and she is like in the last three movies Are you talking something. about Luna Lovegood? The weird girl with the radish earrings who's yes. kind of the weirdo No, kid? no, no. no. Uh, we are in this is Terra our, Incognita. I am not I'm trying to guess. I mean, I'm probably a mid-level I'm not Potter enough, fan. I'm not enough of a Potter fan <laughs> to get there. Hardcore. Somebody the screaming at us right hair. now. Yeah. So, <laughs> somebody call out from the future and tell us and correct me. So contests that you saw... On on that's what we're talking about. Yeah, like you win a guest spot on such and such TV show, and you want to go. Does that, that actually common? ever happen? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, sure. That yeah. was a thing you'd see every so often. It'd be like a serial thing or it'd be an ad in something like, oh, win a guest spot or appear in a- Is that how John Hodgman got famous? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing because if it was a real success story that- that's way better than anything YouTube. That's way better <laughs> no. than Justin Bieber. So do you guys you guys know about the Peter Molyneux goddess thing? So you guys realize that Peter Molyneux, the guy, the the uh, fam- famous quote unquote game designer, did a Kickstarter campaign for a game that was sort of a spiritual successor to Populous, kind, oh. of, a, kind of a god game essentially. Yeah. They had this promotional thing where it would be like, if you solve this crazy flash game puzzle, you get to be the god of goddess, essentially. Like, and so they imagined they could have all the super fans like solve trying to solve this puzzle. And as it turned out, and it was kind of ill-defined what what the like what the reward would be if you were the god of of the game would be. Um, some some nineteen year old kid who doesn't actually play video games, who just like wasting time on flash games on the internet, won it, and they completely stiffed him. Like He's like, they brought us to the studios, and they took us out for a beer afterwards, and uh, I haven't seen any money, and I don't know what I'm going to do with this sort of thing. It was like the one of the biggest letdowns in gaming, because Peter Molyneux is the guy, of course, who every every few years is like, I'm going to revolutionize gaming, and then completely- take somebody out for a beer. Yeah, and then it completely <laughs> falls flat, and then blames someone else, and then uh Yeah, last I heard on. from Peter Molyneux, he, he, it was when he actually admitted a game that he did wasn't very good. <laughs> which didn't happen very often. Yeah, he, which is- yeah, which is like God offering revisions to the this New is Testament. like a presidential candidate admitting they were wrong about something yeah. while running. <laughs> while running, that's just like that's something you do when you're really, really old, and they track you down, and you have a beard now. <laughs> but it's kind of weird. Oh, he I got that weird. Uh, what was that picture they took of Mid Romney right after he lost at a gas station oh, where yeah. he's filling his own sedan? Oh, and, and uh, he looked like uh, a bit like some cross between Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd in a bender. <laughs> oh God, he's in a dad movie now. Yeah, no, yeah. I guess he got into a fight with Evander Holyfield for charity. Well, I'll give a bunch of money for charity to watch somebody punch. Mitt Romney? Yeah, Mitt Romney. Fuck it yes. It feels like something that's fake. That. Evander Holyfield, who's got his ear chewed off. I don't want to fight a guy <laughs> who's been in a fight like that. Yes. <laughs> Mitt Romney was was completely shocked that he lost. He hadn't even prepared for the possibility. So, What was that thing about Uwe, Uwe Bull? Uwe Bull? Is that Uwe? Uwe? He said that he would, instead of answering his critics, he would fight them in the ring, and so he actually had this fun little thing where he took some of his internet film critics oh, and yeah. fought them. He, he fought the something awful guy yes, in yes. the boxing ring, uh, and I, apparently manhandled him. I, I heard just recently that he said that, uh, um, that he thinks that Michael Bay... Is too much of a wimp to fight him. Like I think there was a, the some comparison was drawn to this the, the shitty schlock movies that Uwe Boll makes and the shitty schlock movies that make a lot of money that Michael Bay were, be, makes. And he was basically like, yeah, Michael Bay's a weakling, almost like he's goading him to get in a boxing match with the guy who's he just, he's repudiating like the, his whole existence. You know, he's basically the kid who eats dirt to try to get attention at this point. <laughs> I mean, he say what you will about Michael Bay, but his terrible movies are competently made. Yeah. And they come across exactly the way that he wants them to. He's really good at making that horrible thing he really wants to make. Exactly. Where I look at Uva Bull or Uwa Bull or Bubo Bull, and he's essentially, <laughs> as far as I can understand, the fact that he keeps getting money to make these movies sounds a lot, and I'm not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer, but it sounds like he's just defrauding the German government. It's like the producers, but in real life. Yeah, you know? it's some sort of- How I, can I, I make money I on a failure? some sort of uh, German tax dodge. 
Yeah, I think this is... I'm not going to say it's the worst it's, thing German taxpayers it, have paid for. It's like that Patton Oswalt <laughs> bit where he pretends to be the guy from the room where he's Alfin Goldenball or something like that. Oh, yeah, Did you much. get some monies that you weren't... Yeah, that He's one. seducing a bunch of old ladies to make these movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or yeah. it's secret Nazi gold. Secret, secret Nazi, Nazi gold. <laughs> uh, and you can't of, even say that it's being used for at least the greater good. Some sort of cross betwixt Cryptonomicon and Ed Wood. <laughs> oh, my that God. That would be amazing. Oh. So... Nice. Oh my god. So something is kind of weird uh, speaking of things that you know you don't think you're going to want. I definitely don't want any Uo Bowl movies. No. I definitely don't want that, but I was thinking about this reboot that's happening with Archie Comics. I don't know if you oh. guys have seen uh, any of yeah. this at all. You were Mike you were talking about. Yeah, oh, we're well, this is confusing. Uh <laughs> genetically Similar mic. Yes. Uh, uh, we should probably explain there are two mics in the audience. Well, there's yep. four mics there's in the lots audience. Of mic but there is two mics. Four mics and two more mics. Yeah, yeah, so uh, I'm You can't call Mike me Gillis. Mulvey either. We'll, get, we'll both get that, confused. Then that so, will just be a different, yeah. So Mike Mulvey here is <laughs> yeah. a Sam's younger brother, yep. is Hello. joining us. Hi, and uh, welcome, Michael. Oh, thank you. Big fan. Thank you. <laughs> so, I mean, this is something that I know that <laughs> you and that. I have talked about a lot, Mike, is that you don't expect to want to try certain things yeah. until it's done a certain way, and that's kind of the case with Archie, this reboot. Yeah, um, I, even before... Um, the the reboot that's happening with uh, Mark Wade writing it, uh, Fiona Staples? Yeah, Fiona Staples, the who does the awesome series uh, for oh, Image Comics awesome. Saga. Just glorious art. This is like the last person you expect to go on to do art. I'm going to text Becky like every day when I get home and be like, are you reading Saga? Oh, are she you is reading, reading Saga. She <laughs> is reading Saga. She was ecstatic that she recognized the language that somebody was speaking was Esperanto. Yeah. She told me that. Uh-huh. I had no idea what that was until yeah. she told yeah, me. Yeah, the alien language, they call it blue because the text is in blue. Yeah. It's an alien language of the people from this planet who all have horns. I think it's called Wreath. Uh, it's just Esperanto. Rather than yeah. make up a language, he just uses Esperanto because yeah. someone might as well. But uh, even before I heard about the, the Wade Staples run that's coming for Archie, um, the thing that made me want to be like, holy shit, I kind of want to read an Archie comic was... Uh, have you checked out uh, Afterlife with Archie? Yes, the Archie zombie book. The Archie zombie thing. And you'd think that on, on its face, an Archie zombie book would just be, we're spoofing the popularity of The Walking Dead. No, it's, they <laughs> yeah. are playing it totally fucking straight. Yeah. It's Archie characters starring in a book where they can die. And you know what's so really jarring? You're so used to these characters living in the most nerfed out, yeah. safe world. The Punisher we, came to visit them and it was like nothing happened. Yeah, like nothing <laughs> happened. That's like the safest Wait, place. the, the Punisher fu- visited Archie. In oh, the 1990s, yeah. they had... Uh, bit of fun with Marvel and they said it would be a lot of fun if Archie had a crossover with the Punisher. <laughs> and it's a case of mistaken identity where Arch- the Punisher comes to Riverdale to track down this criminal who kind of looks like a meaner looking version of Archie. Oh, wow. And he comes to a school dance and wackiness ensues. <laughs> I don't believe anyone is violently gunned down at a school, which would definitely not be <laughs> yeah. pulled again. Not not something you'd want to do in the late 90s. No, no. Okay. no. no. This was the early 90s. Yeah, so well, it was still yeah, early 90s, so it's okay. Yeah, before the no. year 1999 and you're fine. Yeah, yeah before 1999, <laughs> you're golden. Was this when the Punisher had a black trench coat? Oh, he's always had a black trench coat. Is, was he, was, what, dare I say, was he presaging... No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I really hope that that isn't a fashion sense. Let's that bring back the Comics Code Authority. <laughs> yes, yeah, so some ill-adjusted <laughs> teenagers who are working out their shit in murderous ways. No, I don't. If they had the skull shirts, you could say, "Oh, wow, they were fans of this." Now we got to do damage control. But no, um, <laughs> I looked at the um, the stuff they did with this Archie Zombie one. Afterlife with Archie is genuinely gut wrenching in places. Not just because familiar characters are suddenly in actual danger. But it's legitimately really well written. There is a scene 
written from the perspective of Archie's dog. What? And what's it's like really <laughs> genuinely touching from the perspective of him trying to protect his master from a zombie. Yeah. And the dog dies in defending his his master. And it's really touching and sad. And it's done so unbelievably well. The art is done by oh my god, what is his name? Uh he's an it, Italian um, artist. He did the Black Beetle for uh, Dark Horse. Is it like a Paul is going to kill me for this. Friend, uh, it's like Francisco Francavilla. Yeah, okay. He is a great artist. I don't know, Sam. I know the piece of art that Francavilla has done that you would absolutely love is a crazy fun piece on uh, Calvin and Hobbes, wow. where you have them sitting in their car in this crazy crime noir thing playing in the top that sort of represents the fantasy that they're playing out. <laughs> okay, and that's cool. It's like him as a hard-boiled private eye with a gun in one direction, and he's back-to-back with Hobbes, who is also a hard-boiled private eye, but he's wearing a tiger-themed luchador mask. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and All it's right. so I'm on board. fucking cool. I am totally on board. Francavilla is just really good at doing this cool, moody art, and he's drawing the Afterlife with Archie series. So, and- assembled mics in front of mics. Uh... Who do, why do I know who Mark Wade is? Mark Wade Kingdom is... Kingdom Come. Yes. Kingdom Come. Ah, okay. He's been writing comics forever. He did a yeah. run on The Flash that lasted well over a decade. Uh, he wrote a Wally, yeah? This, Wally West, the this, second okay. Flash. This is for me... Third Flash, sorry. Third Don't kill the internet. Flash. Jay Garrick, man. Jay Garrick, Barry Allen, Wally West... This is for me and the other two and a half people who don't read comics and listen to Radio vs. the Martians. Oh, yeah. Hey, speaking of uh, reading comics and who don't read comics... Uh, the Daredevil Netflix television show. Like it's I don't. Good. Are you watching I don't, it? I don't go out of my way to watch the the, the new crop of the new generation of uh, traditional DC and Marvel uh, comics that are now adapted into middling broadcast TV shows. I haven't seen Gotham. Haven't seen Green Arrow. Haven't seen Agents of Shield or whatever the two permutations are. Uh, you know what's fucking fantastic about the Daredevil is that it's sort of a weird cross between Old Boy and Law and Order. I was gonna say it's that. Really weird. It's it's fantastic. I am clicking on Old Boy. It's yeah. got so much Law and Order <laughs> right. in it. It's, it's great. It's got a, it's got a lot of it's got a lot of earnest like f- like fun like lawyer drama that goes on in it. The only thing that I think that is that uh, I mean I like Vincent D'Onofrio playing Kingpin. Yeah. I mean it's pretty cool. Vincent D'Onofrio which, is awesome. Which was how I found out that uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is fat now. Apparently, <laughs> I didn't know that. He's probably on the treadmill right now. I know yes. they got grabbed for a second season, so he's probably got to keep eating. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Keep, keep eating, Vince. <laughs> Taking years keep off his life, but he's got steady work. <laughs> I haven't even finished the whole run of the first season, and Mike, I know you're skeptical. Uh, Mike Gillis, I know you're skeptical. Ooh, every, um, everybody noticed this moment. It's no, 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 no. I, I, but I, I would say you have Netflix. I would say give it a try. I've already watched it. Oh, you have? A... Yeah, I, it's great. <laughs> what, what do you think of it? I loved it. Yeah. And I'm somebody, and this is a thing that I'm incredibly skeptical about. A lot of the superhero TV shows now, I think that a lot of them are DC ones, and I'm just immediately when I hear live action DC character, my brain shuts off. You start essentially <laughs> no, you, in the red. No, if you did that, you'd be a fan. Yeah. <laughs> you have to pull yourselves out of a massive chasm to try to get me to check those ones out. And there's, with a lot of people that I know, including some people who blog about those shows, and seeing the emotional seesaw of things that they love and things that they hate, 
I don't know if I really want to go through the emotional angst of, of watching that. So I, I generally am very skeptical. I don't like the more CWOC sort of stuff that they uh, tend to do on a lot of these shows. That's pretty much what uh, Arrow and Flash are. Yeah. yeah. And I, I hear they're doing a lot of cool stuff. They used Gorilla Garod as a villain. Oh, this is a I super just in- watched the Gorilla Garod episode. He's a super intelligent good. gorilla supervillain, which uh, right off the bat, you win points for using Gorilla Garod. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, but still, I, it's not still not enough to get over the ledge of checking that out. I give a lot more leeway to Marvel nowadays, mm-hmm. um, even though mm-hmm. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. seems to be fucking terrible. I'm never going to watch even a single episode of that. I've heard good things about have, Agent no, yeah, Carter, because no it, it stars major characters from the movie. It isn't starring like, here, but this is, Ro- you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is basically Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in the Marvel Universe, <laughs> except they don't actually interact with anyone important. Right. I, all I, I, but Daredevil? I, uh, Daredevil was fucking great. Daredevil was really well done. Dare, Daredevil is is... Uh, you know, when we were preparing for the Spielberg podcast and I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark again, and I hadn't seen it in a few years, um, I realized how much of a, it was a love letter to stuntmen. Yeah. And so, like, good action movies had great stuntmen uh, and still do in, in good action movies. Um, I will say that good stunt work is what makes part of what uh, what Daredevil is to be so good. Like, there are some... There's some notably excellent fight scenes and action scenes there. Ending of episode two. Yes, yes. episode two yeah. is the one yeah. that's probably the most notable is yeah. that there is a fight scene that runs. Does it go as far as 10 minutes? It goes like seven minutes it's long. It's pretty long. It, and it's all one shot like that ending of Children of Men. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. It's, it's a one shot thing. And the beautiful thing is there are several things that obviously they need to bring a stuntman in to do. So he gets knocked through a door and he's basically tagging in the stuntman and tagging back out and tagging back in uh, cool. two or three times. Pretty much. And what also makes it really interesting is that we're so used to this clear, crisp fight choreography in so many of our TV shows now. The good example, the the Red Letter Media guy's talking about Star Wars Episode One. Right. It's like, oh, shit just got real. My master's dead. I'm emotionally pumped. Back into crisp, clean fight choreography and nothing has changed. This one is a little different. One, it makes fighting look like it fucking hurts. Yeah. And two- <laughs> So this is they live level kind of stuff. Happening. Except- they, like like they live, it gets sloppier as people get tired and as they get hurt. Yeah. Okay. And you can't just knock somebody out with a single John Wayne punch. They go down after getting punched like four or five times. Daredevil's fighting other guys. And during the several minutes that this guy on the ground has had to rest, he shakes it off and gets back into the fucking fight. And it makes it feel that much more exhausting. You're like, just yeah. fucking stay down. And you're like watching this guy and... You, you know it's a superhero story and you know he's going to win in your brain but it seeds this doubt in there that you almost never get like holy shit he could lose right they could fucking kill him and no and it's I'm entirely not... plausible in the for- in that character too that he's so green right and he has he's untested he doesn't have a full costume yet at that point that he actually could lose no. he very well could lose that's what i just love about it is that you basically it's like a season long origin story for this character except it's not an origin story his his origin is sort of seeded throughout mm-hmm. and they also give that same origin story to the villain the villain is treated vincent d'onofrio as the kingpin as practically a co-protagonist yeah that he's a bad guy that both of these characters do bad things in the name of what they feel is right i mean the villain has like the most interesting love interest story in the whole show yeah the hero uh, doesn't get a romance story no. the villain does 
Yeah. And it's kind of fascinating. Instead of him having to have, quote unquote, a secret identity and hide what he really does, which is he's a fucking crime boss. So both of you have been trying to sell me on this show. And I think at some early point in your description of it, you both mentioned that he only puts on the ridiculous uniform like in the last episode. Yes. Yeah. He, he gets his costume and it, it makes a lot of so, sense. Which tells me yeah. that you guys know how to fucking sell me a show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No <laughs> costumes until the last episode. Well, Sold. You see, <laughs> it, the costume that he gets in the end, which is much more armored than the other one, after you see him get hurt... So many times leading up to this, you're like, yeah, he needs some fucking. He really, armor. yeah, no, the, you are. <laughs> this, you are not very good, so you kind of need a little bit of armor. And like, he keeps getting told, like by uh, Rosario, Rosario Dawson? Dawson, who played Night Nurse, like you really should get some like armor or something, man. She, she patches him up a bunch of times. Yeah. She's like his fucking pit crew, pretty much. <laughs> it's so so crazy for me to see Rosario Dawson coming off of. I think Sin City was sort of the last big. Uh, she was in Sin City, right? Yeah, she pops yeah, yeah, up yeah. in a lot of things. She's yeah. she's one of those people who I think she's, is a really reliable actor. She's good. Yes. And yes. she should be used a lot more than she is uh, because she's good. She can be funny. She can do drama. She can do moments Ro- that are scary. Romance, she can do action, obviously. romance. Yeah. Like the hot dog guy. Oh, uh, except not terrible. <laughs> well, no, he was in... Uh, uh, oh, that actor's great. I'm yeah. just saying the hot dog character well, from... Uh, we're talking about The Happening, by the way, people. Yeah. You might want to skip ahead a minute hot dog while we talk dogs. about The Happening. I, I, it's I like, like that guy. No, don't that's do a that. canal of a movie. <laughs> I knew that was going to be a good episode because I talked to Becky right after it and she was practically vibrating. I, I, just, I, just, oh my God. I just read something about... Uh, and it, could, it was totally like secondhand, so it could be complete apocrypha, but it was some, from someone who was quote, in the industry, unquote, about why it is that uh, that M. Night Shyamalan still, still, like, is able to be directing movies despite how many failures he has. And one of them, one of them was he runs the eight to four shoots. Like, you got a family, you want to, you know, we're going to film 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. and you get to go home. Like, oh. and you know, you know, if anyone is nice, if anyone's done a shoot or in, or anything, really, you know that, like, yeah, you kind of if you if you bust your ass for twelve hours for you know for three straight weeks, like it's hard to have the rest of life aside from that. You right, know, man. as far as that about Kubrick too, Kubrick uh, is someone who works you like a fucking dog. Also, he'll ter- terrorize his actors. But this this one was so that he the 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 claim was is that well. One, he's a super, he's a really personable guy. Like, he's a, just a good, good guy to work for on the set. Two, he has a really reliable schedule. So, pe- so he, people want people want to return to work with him. And three is, is that his success was mostly luck and that he isn't as good of a writer as everyone thinks he is. They said seven drafts in for Sixth Sense before they, he found out that he should add the, oh, Bruce Willis is dead part what? of it. Wow. So he's actually just a bad writer, and it takes him a long fucking time to find the point. Was Bruce Willis not a ghost? Which originally? makes he was not a ghost originally, which makes a lot of sense. Have, when, but, when you think about the happening, <laughs> where you're like, it's a, it's a, it's a seed of an idea that just like. Where does it go? Who knows? Like it doesn't go anywhere. episode for some case, psychology case files TV show if he's not dead. <laughs> I oh, like man. to imagine he kept the scene in the beginning where Bruce Willis gets shot before he ever came up with the idea like, oh, he's been dead the whole time. Like, it just never gets explained throughout the rest of the movie. <laughs> he's, yeah, also, he's like, it's dead and why does it matter? <laughs> also, uh, so nice guy, works people during business hours, uh, really personable, kind of at odds with the- uh, Not making any money part of it? Burnishing my- 
my uh, turgid ego on the Sci-Fi Network. Oh, he still does I, that. I think that's. Okay. A, I think uh, except for those of us who really want to study M Night Shyamalan, I think the buried secret or whatever was it. The, it is the buried secret. The buried of secret M. of M Night Shyamalan. I think nobody knows about it. I think that kind of ego stuff got pushed to the. I mean, the ego stuff is so pushed to the back now that on when they trailered after earth they didn't have his name on it no. speaking of which uh they're they are putting his name on some tv show that i've seen trailers for what yeah he's what? working on a tv show uh, i, I think he's a producer yeah mm-hmm. that's the thing is i wonder how much value his name sort of has anymore and i feel bad for him on that level because i don't know what it feels like to get big that fast and then crash that fast at the same time because we're talking like seven years yeah to you have your you're like the next big thing and then you're just laughed at and that's like a whiplash to your ego that I can't even begin to think about. The guy that I really feel ba- bad about in the film industry is the guy who directed A Nightmare Before Christmas. And you know what? <laughs> not Tim Burton. <laughs> exactly. Not Tim Burton. That's who it is. And every time that he does something else, they always say, not put his name in the trailer. They say, from the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas. And 99% of people go, oh, it's oh, a Tim, Tim Burton, Burton movie. Yeah, that was clearly Tim Burton. Oh, so he's a guy who's not Tim Burton, who everyone thinks is Tim Burton, and he gets no credit. I like the most Tim Burton-y thing to ever Tim Burton a Tim Burton <laughs> is not directed by Tim Burton. <laughs> oh, it, I think it's produced by Tim Burton. Clearly, yeah. I think, I think he might have written the script, but... It's it's such a Tim Burton movie. Associate but. producer Tim Burton. It, it means that he went out and bought you bagels one day. You know, <laughs> associate producer. <laughs> Wake up here, have a bagel. Hey, uh, yeah. That feels I, almost... I wrote I wrote a nice letter and sent it to the director. Associate producer. Ding. Associate producer is like a job that they give you. To, it's like a pat on the back and hey you want to get in on this scam and so it sounds like that because there's certain jobs that are just straight up hey bullshit. you know that's a great way to test how many associate directors does uh uve Uwe bull have in his movies i don't know probably 15 there's probably a lot of ellen smithies yeah <laughs> because i just I, he seems like such an insufferable person it, if you want to talk yeah. about the opposite of m night if people like working with m night because they like him as a guy it seems like everything I hear about Uva Bull or Uva Bull is just a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, and the thing, you know why he does all that? I'll, I challenge you to a fight. He trains. Oh. Like, he actually trains. That's something he does. So it makes sense that, you know, Uva Bull comes in, yeah, I'll fight you, I'll fight you. It's not like I'm a director and I'm really mad at you, we're going to play fight. He actually wants to beat the shit out of these people, and he trains to beat the shit out of these people. You can... He sounds like a jock and. A guy that I don't like. I, we, yeah. I, don't, I don't expect. I don't think that my my sense is that uh, that the temperament of someone who's a who's a successful film director is more akin to like a painter than it is a fucking jock. You know what right. I'm saying? Like yeah. you don't expect you expect that uh, that directors are the type of people that have uh, grand e- grand egos and amazing visions in their own head, and if they're good enough, they can help transmit that vision to other people. Um, you do, I don't. I don't normally think of directors as jocks. Well, I look really at don't. Uva Bull, and I think it's just you know he thinks that. If by the way, it, by the way, we probably are very partisan on this on this podcast about the jocks versus nerds fight, yeah. suppose, and we yeah. fucking hate but, jocks. But right. the thing with, with Uva Bull, though, is no, that we love you, jocks. Sorry. If uh, <laughs> if Uva Bull kicks a guy's ass, and if he trains the way Sam says he does, he will win a lot of fights. Doesn't make his movie good. No, right. mo- your movie is still shit, dude. You, it's like there are plenty of people out there who could kick my ass, but they'd make a shitty movie. It's <laughs> a long list, dude. We're clearly well outside the the uh, the orbit of art at this point. His film is art. He's making these movies because he wants to do cool things. People make fun of his cool things, so he beats people up. I mean, 
this is quintessential jock stuff. This is, you know, I and okay, uh, full disclosure, I used to train. I used to box. Um, I was terrible at it. <laughs> I was straight up terrible. Didn't I go to a class with you once? You did. I did. Yeah. Um, you think you could beat up Uva Ball though? Not now. No, I'm way out of practice. No, yeah, now I'm fat and unfit. Oh, so. this is like that Kevin James movie fat, where he no. becomes a UFC fighter. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you want to train you to fight Uva Bull? <laughs> Man, at this point, if I got clocked in the face, it would probably cost me 15 grand. Are <laughs> you a bad enough dude to beat up Uva Bull? <laughs> <laughs> well, should, shit, when you put should, it that way, I think so we, we have to. should do a reskin of bad dudes and have it be <laughs> not Ronald Reagan, but Uva Bull. <laughs> Oh, this has to happen. Uh, we got to get somebody like Henry Rollins to play Uva Bowl for this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, speaking of comic books and television, mm. uh, this is something I've heard both uh, everybody in the room sort of careen by, and uh, this is one I can fully participate in because it's a comic book series I happen to like. They're actually doing The Preacher as a TV series yeah. on AMC. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel better about it being AMC because yeah. AMC is. If we're going to look at this as a sort of an echelon of TV stations, yeah, where you have like TBS is near the bottom. AMC <laughs> oh, poor TBS. TBS does not have a name a TV show on TBS you want to watch. I, exactly. Uh, I cut the cord years ago. I can't remember so, which shows on what station anymore. Yeah, it's not exactly the most upscale. You know, TBS is well. You can. This is the way you deal the rubric. You do that. Is is uh, TBS like HBO or like CBS? Are they able to uh, launch their own subscription based uh, internet service for their programming? Yes or no? If the answer is no, then you're not relevant. <laughs> But anyways, AMC, uh, this is the people who did Breaking Bad and uh, Mad Men and Walking Walking Dead. Dead. Have you seen Better Call Saul? Better Call Saul is amazing. So this is not an untried station, and they tend to do things on a much better scale. They're up there kind of with HBO. These people make art TV shows that they're not like, you know, you're watching, what is it that, uh, it's not like some, you know, this isn't like Bravo before it was all trash and, and reality things. You're not just watching opera and stuff. But it's like this is thoughtful, interesting, intelligent television that's character-based where you can actually do the sort of acting you want to do. Like, Brian Cranston finally got a chance to shine after years of being, you know, the dad on Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. Uh, because he got a great character on a on a station that let you do something different on. So Preacher being on AMC right off the bat uh, gives it a bit of a point that it doesn't. The fact that it, Warner Brothers, to me, is kind of scaring me because they want to make everything that's a comic book show either a superhero thing or a police procedural. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to mm-hmm. see a police procedural How version. How the hell would you do either of that? Uh, well, well, I could see you turning they, Jesse Custer into a superhero. A superhero. And that's what yeah. I don't want him to do. So I was talking to our good friend Paul Rue about this and what our fears for this show is. One is Preacher is a comic book series, if you're not familiar with it, about a preacher from West Texas who gets superpowers that give him the ability to make people do whatever he says. Yeah. And it's all in red because, you know, in the Bible, all this shit that Jesus says is in red. So people, when he speaks oh, in red... it's a nice expensive Bible. Yeah, it's a nice expensive <laughs> Bible. It's an upscale Bible. But red ink. Not the one you use for rolling so, papers. No. There is fucked up shit Which in is this. terrible, by the way. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, Mike. Uh, don't use the cheapo uh, paper as rolling papers. It really it makes you cough a lot. It really is just terrible. That gold just, can't help. Just go and buy the the you know the nine ninety cent zigzags, please, please, people. 
So Continue. this PSA so, by so <laughs> Preacher is a series that really pushed the limits of what you could get away with doing in a mainstream comic book. One of which is that the villain of the series is God, who bites a dude's eyeball out at one point. <laughs> yeah, there are hillbillies. You can see why I like this. Yeah. I guess <laughs> there are hillbilly characters that that rape animals, and there's a dude who's like a clansman who has a girlfriend that's made out of meat products. There's a lot of fucked we up have shit. A, we have a, a uh, uh, immortal uh, cowboy that murders people. I want to see. I want to see how they do Ass Faces origin story. Well, I think with the AMC show, we're definitely going to get something way cleaner than the comic book. I don't think we're going to get packaged meat girlfriend. Yeah, but, that's uh, a, the other side of Preacher, though, and this is the part that I'm almost more afraid that they're going to miss, because they're not going to do all the fucked up stuff they do in the comic no. book, is that Preacher, despite the fact that it can be just overtly insane and profane... It also has this real emotional core to it and this real sincerity, and it's just beautifully written characters, beautifully written dialogue, gorgeously drawn. And I look at this and I'm thinking, oh, man, is it worse that they're afraid to do any of the stuff that made Preacher Preacher in terms of the fucked up stuff? Or is it worse for them to do all that fucked up stuff and missing the actual emotional core to it? What's worse? And I think it might be the latter. And I just it feels like they're going to be too safe. They're not going to do the stuff that they're going to want to do. Um, and they're just going to make this sort of nerf. I was worried out. that they're going to have to do, and this is a good question for Mike, because yeah. um, the, the the preacher w- preacher was uh, Garth Ennis, right? Garth yeah. Ennis and Steve Dillon. And on Steve Arts. Dillon in the '90s, it's really horribly '90s. It's a very '90s. It's series. very much a period. It's it's, but it, not like in the way that not like the Macarena. Not like the Macarena. I mean, it's still it's it's a solid piece of work, but it is definitely uh, a period piece. It is yeah. something that speaks to that current to References. that era in which it was written. There's a character whose whole origin is written around the suicide of Kurt Cobain, for right. instance. Yeah. Uh, how does how did that sit with somebody who uh, wasn't like an adult during the nineties? Well, um, I mean, it sat with me fine because you know, all oh, right, 80s I had comics. a you know, yeah. I had an older brother and an older sister, so I kind of okay. knew what most of this stuff was. I knew what Kurt Cobain was when well, I was reading yeah, it. Yeah, I figured, I mean, yeah, but I like I'd hear Nirvana in the house when I was a kid, so like I'm okay. I'm well aware. Do you guys think it would survive? Because do you think they're going to do it as a nineties period piece, or do you think they're going to update it? Probably I would not hope they. Yeah, I would I, hope they. Do as a '90s period piece, but they probably that would won't. be better. Yeah, um, I think it would give it a certain flavor, and I think those little touches, like putting it in a different era. I think the last X Men movie was helped by the fact that it was very '70s. Yeah, and I think that making a '90s series would be a lot of oh, fun. Right. We live in a we live in a time now. We're doing a a period. Uh, we're we're doing a movie in the decade that it's not happening is a saleable thing. I mean, Mad Men made it really cool to do period stories. Yeah. yeah and sure. I think that a Preacher would be kind of cool that way, but I don't know how much you can get away with on TV. You can't. Well, you obviously can't do the profanity, and there's a lot of the violence you can't do. I wonder, in an age where, you know, you have people would line up to protest a show like Preacher if you did it with God as the villain... Like overtly the villain, like a petulant, angry person. The story is about a preacher trying to force God to apologize to humanity for abandoning them and all. It's it's a really weird sort of series. And I wonder how much of Preacher would be left after you make it safe for television. And I guess it's the same thing I see with a lot of adaptations where I worry about people who make it being fans of all that stuff and missing the actual substance to the series that is actually there because... Right. You actually care about these characters. There are bits. It's like a Tarantino movie in a lot of ways. That Tarantino really influenced Preacher. See, I I don't think that updating the image. I, I it would be really nice if they kept it nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I don't think I think you could update it to uh, this decade because it's like about the 2010s. I don't know what the hell you call this back at this decade. Um, the teens. The teens. Well, that's, that makes me think of World War One. I think you could update it because it wouldn't really change Cassidy. It wouldn't really change Jesse Custer. It wouldn't change uh, the, the, the Tulip. Tulip, the death guy. Arseface. 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 Oh, is he? Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I, that Arseface would be the one who would change the most. Yeah, he would because, He would date, date date his character, right? The yeah. The Kurt Cobain suicide yeah. thing. That was a soft yeah. well, What rock star suicide could you base it on? Because there's nothing that's happened since then that had no. the same impact on people the way Kurt Cobain's did. Yeah. It's, I can't think of one. I think that would just be something that would get dropped. Yeah. yeah. It's weird Maybe a different explanation. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I will be mad if they don't do uh, John Wayne as uh, Jesse's spirit guide. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things that just gives it this real yeah. flavor. That was so uh, great. Because Preacher is a weird sort of love letter to American cinema and culture from an Irishman. That's when it got almost a, a bit too much locky for me, is when he would do the... Uh, like the whole issue where they talk about Bill Hicks? No. No, that was fine. I love yeah. that part. Uh, but where, they, where he gets into John Wayne and, and the love of, of the American... Uh, story where the story is the schlocky John Wayne punching a guy story. Um, it's like, wow, this is maudlin, horribly patriotic, and I kind of hate it. And then, it, like two days later, it's like, oh wait, an Irish guy wrote this. Why does that change my opinion? But it totally changes my opinion. This Irish guy is better at patriotism than most than well, no, every American I've ever had duck about patriotism. He loves the mythology of America, yeah, including yeah. like the Western, the war story, the cowboy. I mean, he loves a lot of and just. Very much Jesse Custer is a cowboy character. Oh, yeah. And if this had been made during that era, I think that he probably would have definitely been a Matthew McConaughey kind of guy. Speaking of cowboy characters and Matthew McConaughey, the next season of True True Detective Detective is going to come out. Fascinating because uh, Colin Farrell, of course, they're putting Colin Farrell. He's uh, Colin Farrell is a serviceable character in an action movie, not a lead. He's not a lead, though. A lot of people think he is, and he's billed as one. He's not a lead character. Uh, um, have I told you my love-hate relationship about Colin Farrell? But uh, Vince Vince Vaughn, mm-hmm. someone who I do not like at all because he is he's seeming to remake uh, you know old school over and over and over again, and cannot escape those movies. <laughs> is the is the anti- I guess the pseudo antagonist in this show that is is based in L A. Los Angeles instead of L.A., Louisiana this time. And it actually looks intriguing for that reason. It's kind of weird that he's playing a crime boss. Vince Vaughn playing a crime boss very shortly after Vincent D'Onofrio plays a crime boss. Have I told you that I get those two mixed up constantly? <laughs> it helps to know well, D'Onofrio the, has no hair. One of those two <laughs> One of those two actors can, cape up, can, can realistically portray Orson Welles in a movie and the other can't. You choose which one of the two there is. That was Vincent enough, your own Ed Wood. Yes, yes. I, I forgot about that. I I didn't know that for years. <laughs> I think he was voiced by Maurice LaMarche, though. Yes, yeah, it was. I thought, he was that, yeah. I thought that was Maurice LaMarche, and no. 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 That's so weird that you got the... You, I've never seen that done in a movie before where they're like, we have this one actor who looks a lot like him, and we have this other actor who sounds a lot like him. Let's merge them together but, and create this gestalt being. But walk around <laughs> in my head for a minute. There's a voice actor who looks and speaks exactly like like, like Wells. I mean, just... Uh, he grew up in a vat. Yeah, grew up in a vat. Like, apparently this is a line of clones. <laughs> I, it, it screwed with my head, and actually finding out that they were two different people uh, was kind of a relief. And yeah, sometimes I, I screw up uh, Orson Welles and H.G. Wells. I'll just put that out there. I get them mixed up. 
Only one of them was in the Transformers movie. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, there was... Okay, Transformers movie. There was something... Um, there was the episode you guys did about uh, uh, So Bad It's Good. You guys mm-hmm. talked about like Miami yeah, Connection. Was I was on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was Casey uh, dropped a little bit of uh, uh, Transformers like nerd culture on you. Did What was it? Uh, Bow Weep, Granal Weep, Nitty Bomb? Yeah. Yeah, and you guys didn't say anything. Yeah, well, it, I was, have it was so much silence. shit for that. I was in my car silence. listening to this, and I was getting mad during the drive. <laughs> I got it like a minute later. Listen, yeah. if you ever find yourself on a foreign robot planet with strange robot monsters wanting to eat you, you better hope that you remember a Baweep, Granaweep, Nannybond, and have greeting. some and have some Energon goodies. Otherwise, you're <laughs> going to get yourself mulched. The last time I saw the Transformers mov- movies, the preacher wasn't dated. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll just put that in. A, I'll put that into context for you. So it took me a minute. Like, like, yeah, like fifteen minutes after you said it, it came out of cold storage. Hey, asshole! That was from the Transformers movie. And then everybody who talks to me about that episode has been, "Hey, asshole! That was from the Transformers movie." I think I texted you like right after. Yes. Hey, asshole! That was from the. Was like- <laughs> Most of my knowledge of the Transformers movie from the eighties. If my brain is a storage facility, I have to push some boxes out of the way to get to a lot of it. Yeah. But I think pretty much all I remember is uh, You've Got the Touch. You've Got the Touch. Oh, God. That's the primary memory. It's just the rock anthem of Optimus Prime. You don't remember remember, uh, Dare to be Stupid? Oh, yeah. Dare to be Stupid. That That is the. Oh, man. That is one of the weirdest uses of a licensed movie. It makes no sense. Oh, it I makes mean, sense. I mean, Eric were... Idle's weird little pop culture, like uh, stream of consciousness pop culture robot, which is actually kind of a funny thing for Eric Idle to do. Right, that was Eric Idle. Yes, God. there was a lot. Yeah. Of, there is a this lot fucks to with love. Your head. There is a lot to love about Transformers '86. There's a lot to love about. Yeah, it. can Robert we just say Stack. that's the Transformers movie? That, it is. Yeah, the, that's it is the, the Transformers. Transformers movie. I've been saying that in my brain. Yeah, like for because I, I I forget that the Transformers. I, I think Michael Bay's Transformers movie. Yeah, so oh. I, I think of the, he's kind of taking. Has it anyone over. at this table? Have you guys? Any of you seen the 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 Michael Bay produced but not directed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie? The one that came out last year. No, I kind of. Uh, I am actually surprised. I want to see it. I yeah. now want to see it. My nephews who are you know like eleven and eight. Uh, the which they see everything that's Transformers esque, and they yeah. go see it. They're like, "Oh, it's got a lot of good action." Now, I'm, I, there's just morbid curiosity. Now, I would just, I would, I now, I, I know that I can be totally disappointed, but I really want to know how they're sort of abusing that platform to sell children's toys, which is what which it is really is. Weird, because Come on. the Ninja Turtles. This is not the first time they've been a platform to sell children's no, toys. No, no, no. I okay. mean, that's what they. That's, that's nothing all they new. Do. Did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles make money? Of course yes. it did. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so it, it made money. money. They had three Transformers, four Transformers movies, which made money. Uh, I didn't bother with the fourth. Um, I didn't bother with Wait, you went to the, the third first. Transformers movie? No, I didn't go to any of them. Well, okay, oh. you know what? The second and the third one I saw with Rift Tracks. So, oh, that's, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, it's fine. Um, that's like Novocaine for a movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's next? I think, I think I would see the fourth Transformers movie if I were smoking opium. In fact, let's have that be. No, let's not. <laughs> I don't want to commit. Let's to, leave that. I there. don't want to commit to a felony. <laughs> let's all go to the two dollar theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that's uh, not no. the first time the two dollar theater smelled like opium. <laughs> no, 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 sir. <laughs> I'll commit to eating a uh, poppy seed muffin while watching that movie <laughs> all right. and failing your next drug test, and probably not paying attention. 
Be- not because of the poppy seed muffin. Do you think they're... Do you, so, I mean, comic books got... Movies finally got the popularity they've been looking for for 50 years. And now everybody makes comic book movies. They you've make got, a specific kind of comic book movie. You've got... Uh, of course. Um, well, they made Red. They did. Yeah, into, they did. A, into a movie. I think I want to see the kind of... More of the kind of comic book yeah, movies that people like don't realize are comic book movies. Yeah. You know, like Ghost World and History of Violence and stuff. They should be more of that what, sort of what, stuff. What about Love and Rockets? That do, would be do, great. Do, do you think they could? Do you think they could actually do that well for a series? Probably not a movie. Do you think they could actually do Love and Rockets well? Are you, I think they could. No. I think you just do it. I think the thing you have to do with certain things that aren't superhero-y is just do it and not make a big deal about how it's a superhero movie. That's what they did with Jonah Hex. They fucked it up because yeah. they were like, he's a comic book character. He's got to have superpowers. And you're like, no, he doesn't. He's just, especially because he's a character that's based on movie characters. So right. this thing comes full circle it, and becomes right. a character It kind of makes me want to see that one Punisher movie that everybody keeps talking about. The, the, the one scene you see on YouTube all the time where uh, the Punisher slowly puts this little girl in somebody's arms and then shoots a guy with a shotgun. I don't think I've seen that. Wait, Thomas Wait. Jane? Is Thomas Jane in that in that? I think it might clip? be. Hmm. I don't know. I have to go look. There's been, weirdly enough, three Punisher movies. Yeah. None of them made money. No. <laughs> yeah. So I, is, is, taking, um, is, is taking a vector for distribution of toys, hmm. is that just something Michael Bay does? Or do you see, or do you guys see... I think that's what movie studios do. M- m- yeah. More of that happening to the, to the point where it could hit a fevered pitch like, like with superhero movies. I think superhero movies lend themselves well to toys really, really easily because they're colorful and right. everyone has alternate... Ver- There's things that happen in the movie but like they rebooting- I can make a toy of this version of the character and make a toy of that version well, of the character. Well, they're rebooting Gem. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Heresy. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that is truly outrageous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> truly. Very truly outrageous. outrageous. Very nice. Very uh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't top that. Uh <laughs> He-Man. Like, are they going to reboot He-Man? Are they going to do, like, Power Lords again or Micronauts or... Oh, I don't know. Robotics. It's inevitable like they Voltron. They can, Voltron. Do Vol- they can do Voltron very now, easily. Now, there is a comment. There is a cartoon that just does not age well. Yeah, Voltron could be could could be redone in a, uh, a sort of a, a callback to Power Rangers, sort of half live action, half special effects stuff. I feel like that was a decent... I mean, even though I wasn't really sucked into Power Rangers because it, it arrived a little bit too late for my sort of for, for my uh, cultural education. Um, that was still, I think I think it's still a great, uh, I mean, it, it made Haim Saban the billionaire that he is today. Yeah. And it's, a, it's you know, repurposing old Japanese shows and refilming half of it. Um, uh, but I think the, I think it's good. I mean, I think, I think people love Power Rangers. I think they have affection well, for I, it. Well, I got an earful of Power Rangers thanks yeah, to. Right here. Yeah. They're yeah. already doing a Power Rangers movie. Well, they've been doing, doing Power, they been doing Power Rangers movies the whole time. They they've been did, doing Power Rangers they did TV two, shows. and they were both. Even as a kid, I was like, these kind of fucking suck. But <laughs> <laughs> it's weird when you're a kid who already likes Power Rangers, and if you can't sucks. clear that fucking hurdle, yeah, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking Whoa. of which, doesn't doesn't uh, the Green Ranger want to beat somebody up? Didn't I hear? Oh no, he wanted to fight uh, CM Punk because I guess CM wow, Punk is now a clash of worlds <laughs> for you right there. <laughs> I know CM Punk. Well, you what know, is Gray Sports Almanac say about that match? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's really weird looking at this because I, on one level, CM Punk, the former professional wrestler, who to become an MMA guy uh, wants to be taken seriously and the way you don't be taken seriously is fight another guy from a media <laughs> yeah, you don't fight somebody else that's not how you do it um, you know Which, whatever the, the Green Ranger right the one they introduced yeah. he's the guy with the shoulder yeah. pads 
Because I guess he had really, really <laughs> tender, shoulder awesome pads? shoulder pads. Oh, no, right. He had the big gold shoulder pads. Shoulder pads. Shoulder pads. I yeah. imagine because he had really tender collarbones. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Yeah, because there's a lot of cartoons. It was a genetic deformity. There's a lot of cartoons that uh, I would not, I would I would be in, in your boat, just not exposed to because they were after my time. Yeah. But I had, I had somebody around me. Sure. And so I got to see a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, a lot of uh, Power Rangers, which I could... Both of which I could set on now, fire without a tear. No, no, Mike. Did you? Were you in the right age for Pokemon? Did, were, did you think it was you uh, zero on that on that point? I was in the perfect age for Pokemon. Yes, he yeah. was. Um, I was. I was pretty crazy about it. Um, Pokemon is so fascinating to me because uh, it. It it isn't it still endures like it still um, it missed me it totally missed me uh, and considering that the the reason why it endures is because it had a super addictive RPG that was yeah. on it I understand uh, coming from the Final Fantasy generation I understand super addictive grindy old style RPGs and I they kind of they kind of explicitly made this the thing that you could just do over and over again because you want to get the find the rarest possible like RNG in this game. I totally get it. I guess I just don't really have any true affection for the characters, um, but they it it seems to be still pretty fucking popular. Still still selling units. Well, I was one of those kids who uh I had all 151 Pokemon on like my red version of the game and then I lent it to my friend and he erased my file. Motherfucker. And we weren't friends anymore yeah. after that. You, that that is. That that, that is. Yeah. yeah fuck but, um, that guy. Yeah. That, like that has um those original ones like the first two that came out like red and blue. They remade those for a later edition of the Game Boy and I went and played those because it was the same game it just looks a little better. I almost went to a um Use game store before my flight out here just to get a Game Boy and Red version, so I had something to do on the flight. Oh, right That's on. awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I can admit to loving a certain period of game design where you add in uh, grinding as a piece to keep people playing the game because it's very easy to make a game uh, that you know is only three or four hours long it's very hard to make a good game that's a hundred hours long and and making the grind longer is the way they achieved it early on but yeah radio versus the martians is produced by mike gillis and casey doran our editor was mike gillis our theme music was written and performed by todd maxfield matsumoto Find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com and send us your feedback at info at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. alive and I'm gonna beat his ass.